Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So yesterday for the holiday, we spent some time visiting my parents. And as we were visiting my parents, my children were playing with some water balloons. And they were very concerned with how many water balloons they were going to get to play with. And so they asked my dad, how many more water balloons do you have? And my dad's response, quite simply, was enough. And as I heard him say that, I laughed because I muttered the same response under my breath. That's how I would have answered that question. I would have answered that question in the exact same way my dad did. Why? Because family resemblance is a real thing. For good and for bad, for better or for worse, family resemblance is real. I mean, it's where we get phrases like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That that somebody is a chip off the old block. In fact, I had a friend who's Son's nickname was Chip for that very reason. We all understand that there is so much that we inherit from our parents. There are so many things that we get from them. And some of it is on just a a biological level. Some of it is just we get our genes from them. But there's also this sense in which if you've ever been around a family that has adopted children, there's this beautiful thing that happens that oftentimes those adopted children begin to take on the sort of personality of their new adopted family. That family resemblance, family resemblance is not just a matter of our genes, but it's so much nurture as well. What's interesting is that there is so much that we can pass on to our kids. There is so much that just naturally becomes a part of our kid's life. My kids, like it or not, are going to love bad humor because they're exposed to it on a regular basis and at a high volume. But there are some things that don't get directly passed on to our kids in the same way. Our faith is sort of like that. On the one hand, we do believe that we have a responsibility, both those of us who are parents and even those of us who are not, to pass on our faith to the next generation. This is why we believe in infant baptism at City Church, because faith is something that is passed down in some ways, generation to generation. And it's our responsibility to love and shepherd all of the children, all of the next generation of our church, whether we're parents or not. But there's another sense in which the faith of every person has to be personal. We can't just rely on our parents' faith. We can't just rely on the faith of generations that have come. Being a Christian was socially advantageous. In fact, if you weren't a Christian, it was an oddity. But that Christian culture, that sort of American cultural Christianity, created a real set of problems. Because It was a form of Christianity that was all about externals. It was all about looking the right way, 
without ever reaching into our hearts, which without ever approaching our souls. It wasn't, in many ways, genuine faith. And so we, we have terms for this, whether it's religiosity or false piety or cultural Christianity. Call it whatever you want. I'll call it this. Cancer. The idea that Christianity is just about my performance, is just about my social interactions and appearing to play the part is a cancer both to us as individuals, but also to the church at large. Because all of it, all cultural Christianity, all performative Christianity is an exercise in self-salvation. It's an exercise in self-justification. It puts me in control. You see, Jesus wants us to experience true freedom. But in order to do that, in order to experience the beautiful freedom that only he can give us, we can't keep holding on to our self-salvation projects. We can't keep striving to justify ourselves simply by the things this problem is not new to us. This is not something that has just happened in this generation. Rather, this is a problem that goes back to the beginning of time. And Jesus addressed it pretty head on in John chapter 8. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read uh, John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 31. I invite you, if you're at home, to consider standing up as we read this together. Uh, I'm going to Read the, all the way to the end of the chapter. And as I do, I want you to listen for the way that Jesus is taking head on. City Church, let's hear the word of God from the Apostle John. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practiced sin is a slave to sin. Now forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets, who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, by glorifying myself, my glory is not. It is my father who glorifies me. Of him whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. So this morning as we come to this text, what we this, this argument that Jesus is having with the Jews who had believed, it seems that as he has been teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles, some have believed and some have not, but some of those who believed are beginning to have doubts. They're beginning to question what it is that Jesus is really saying, what's really going on. And so Jesus begins to, to talk to them, and he says, look, if you believe in me, you will abide with me, and you will be free. And so he brings out these ideas that, that if we abide with him, we will be free, and that they have the same spiritual father as him if they believe in him. Well, the Jews who Jesus is talking to don't take this well. They understand that he is critiquing what they have to say. He, they understand that he is critiquing their way of living. And so they respond and say, wait, 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 Jesus, hold up, hold up. You're talking about who our father is. We are children of Abraham, and we have never been slaves. Now, this should be like a high-level irony alert here, because they're at the Feast of Tabernacles, where they, where they celebrate the people of Israel, the children of Abraham, being freed from slavery. And yet they say, well, well the, the children of Abraham have never been slaves. Yes, you were, on several occasions. Egypt, Babylon... Greece, Rome, take your pick. No, you have been slaves, but that's not the biggest deal. He says, oh, wait, you say that you have Abraham as your father? 
No. No, because you are slaves to sin, you're not doing the things that Abraham would have done. What does the Bible again and again tell us is the chief thing that Abraham did. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not that Abraham did all the right things. In fact, if you read the story of Abraham, he is more often than not messing up. He is, he is lying and sinning in the same ways over and over again. But what is it that justified Abraham? What is it that made Abraham significant? It's that he believed God and that he abided with him. He says, no, no, no. You think that the children of Abraham, but you're not. They say, yes, we are. And he says, okay, you are the children of Abraham, but you're still slaves. And, and the Jews would have been a Especially upset about this. Because what Jesus is subtly saying is, I'll grant you that you're children of Abraham. It's just that you're not the children of Sarah. You're the children of Hagar. Your brother, your father is not Isaac. Your father is Ishmael. Jesus is, Jesus is, as they say, going hard in the paint. Jesus is not pulling any punches. He says, you think you have... Abraham is your father, but you don't do the things that Abraham did. You don't believe in me. In fact, at the end of the passage, they'll say, wait a minute, how do you know so much about Abraham? You're not even 50 years old and you claim to, to know him. You have seen him. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's because before Abraham was, I am. And not only is he making a statement about the fact that he is eternal, that he is God himself, but he's also telling them, Remember what this festival is all about. This festival is all about God leading the people out of Egypt. And what did that begin with? What was the, the tipping moment of that? It's when Abraham saw a burning bush. I'm sorry, Moses saw a burning bush. And God said, I am who I am. Jesus is very clearly saying, I am God. But the people, they can't take it. Because they say, no, 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 no. Okay, let's forget Abraham. God is our father. And Jesus says, no, no, wrong answer again, because your father is actually Satan. These are harsh words of Jesus. I mean, think, think about this as a sermon, right? This is, this is Jesus' sermon outline. You're not abiding with me, and you're walking away from the faith because you're slaves to sin. First point, you're acting like children of Hagar, not of Sarah. Second point, you're acting like children of Satan. Jesus is clearly not trying to drum up the largest crowd he can. Because Jesus is concerned with something besides a crowd. Jesus is concerned with something besides cultural belief in him. Jesus is concerned with a true and abiding faith in him. Now, if you're joining us this morning, if you're listening along with us and you're not a Christian, I want to talk to you. It's been pretty popular, at least on, on the sort of news and social media and all of that stuff that I partake of. It's been pretty popular of late to sort of, sort of dunk on Christians, sort of say that many of our society's problems right now are caused by Christians. And, and here's how I want to respond to that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We bear a, a large weight in that. 
that there is good reason to critique, especially to critique cultural Christianity. Christianity that just says, yeah, 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 Jesus, and does different things than what Jesus says. Just like these people here said they believed in God, but did not act like it. They said they believed in God, but didn't abide with him. If, if that's the way that you've been feeling lately, if that's your frustration, you're in good company because Jesus is frustrated with that too. Jesus is calling out in this passage, not sinners out there. In this passage, Jesus is addressing religious people. And he's going hard after religious people. Those, those harsh comments, those very direct comments that Jesus says, you're children of Ishmael, you're children of the devil, are not directed at the Romans or the Greeks or the people outside. It's addressed to the religious. So if you find yourself wanting to critique the hypocrisy within Christianity, good. So does Jesus. But here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to not write off all Christians because of the hypocrisy of cultural Christianity. That would be something like this. Imagine one day I went and got, well, I won't name a brand. Uh, I went and got coffee that I could get through a window. And I drank it and it was gross. Imagine if I decided then that all coffee must be gross because that one cup I got through a window was gross. Therefore, it all must be gross. I'm asking you to consider that there is other good and fine coffee. I'm asking you to humbly consider and listen to what Jesus has to say here and consider what Christianity would look like if it was the sort of Christianity that pushed us towards kindness, that pushed us towards a new sort of freedom and compassion. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, consider that as we go. But if you are a Christian, here's what I want you to listen to. I want you to listen to the critiques that Jesus makes of these people's faith. Jesus lays out why he is calling them children of Hagar, why he is calling them children first one that he says is that they're trusting in their spiritual lineage, not their own spiritual lives. They're relying on the fact that they come from the right family. We are children of Abraham. We have been, we have been circumcised on the eighth day. We have done all the right external things. We've got the right family tree and we celebrate the right holidays. But Jesus says that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not even enough. Jumping ahead of myself, but it's not even enough to be the kind of good person who tunes into a broadcast of church the day after 4th of July occurs on a Saturday. It's not our spiritual lineage. It's not our external activity. Jesus says we need a personal and abiding faith in him, a faith that continuously draws on what he has to give us. But they justified themselves. In fact, they justified themselves and were so entrenched in this that they actually, they actually take a racist shot at Jesus in this passage. 
Now, it's, it's sort of lost on us because when we hear the word Samaritan, we associate it with positive things because literally the only time we say the word Samaritan, we put the word good in front of it. But the Samaritans to the Jews were a less than people. The Samaritans were, were half-bloods. They were to be spurred. And in fact, in the story of the Good Samaritan, you see that working itself out where, where the priest and the Levites walk by a Jewish man who is abandoned and hurting on the side of the road. But when Jesus begins to critique their religion, did you catch what they say to Jesus? What are you, a Samaritan? They're using religious bigotry, racial bigotry, to try to minimize what Jesus says. And while that's not a main point, I think that there's something there for us to think about. That anytime we as the church do anything that minimizes people of another culture than us, we find ourselves in the camp that Jesus calls the children of Hagar and the children of the devil. But Jesus continues on. Because it's not just that they do that. He says that they are, they're, well, before, before I get there, let's think about this. Most of us would not justify ourselves and say, oh, well, I have the right spiritual family. That's probably not so common for us. But I want to look at a few ways that we do this. One of the ways that we sort of are guilty of, of trusting our spiritual lineage, of trusting our spiritual heritage, instead of abiding in Jesus, is the way that we minimize our sin. And I know that we do this because this is something that I do. And here's one of the ways that I minimize my sin. Whether it's a sin that is premeditated or a sin that that just sort of snuck up on me, whatever the case, here's what I do. I say, well, I'm a Christian. God will forgive me. I, I read about forgiveness and mercy and grace all the time, so it'll be fine. When I look at my sin and presume the grace of Jesus and just say, nah, it'll be fine. What I'm really doing is minimizing my sin and trusting in my spiritual lineage to get me through. Instead, what Jesus is calling us to is the hard work of faith and repentance. Not to just go, eh, I sinned, my bad, and move on. But to do the hard work of repentance To not just tell my children when I yell at them, sorry about that, I got it, we're good, right? All right, high fives, fist bumps, we're good. No, but to genuinely repent. To genuinely do the hard work of looking inside my heart and going, where is this coming from? Why am I doing this? To do the hard work of repentance and faith is to do exactly what Jesus is telling us in this passage, to abide in him. But not only does Jesus critique them for relying on their spiritual lineage, but he also critiques them for their false piety, for the ways that they claimed to love and follow God, but just flat out didn't. Jesus says, if you really were the children of Abraham, you would do the things that Abraham did, but you're not doing the things that Abraham did. Abraham saw me and rejoiced, You saw me, see me, and want to kill me. Their lips praise God, but their heart 
is far from them. You see, true spiritual adoption creates a family resemblance. If we have truly been adopted into the family of God, then there will be a growing resemblance, a family resemblance between us and our Father. And Jesus points at them and says, you don't have that. You're not doing the things that Abraham did. You are keeping all the external forms, but your heart has not been changed. You're great on the outside. Later, Jesus is going to say that they're like whitewashed tombs. They're like well-painted graveyards. They're beautiful, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. Jesus is leveling that at them. How much are we like that? How much do we think that our church attendance, that our giving, that our serving of others, that all of these things are what makes us a Christian? Church, most of us would say, no, 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 I don't believe that. But how many of us, how many of us actually, how many of us actually live our lives like that? How often are you motivated to do something good because you want to make sure that you're seen doing it? How often are you motivated to do the right thing, not out of your deep and abiding love for Jesus? but your deep and abiding love for being seen a certain way, for being perceived as the good person, for being, oh, that person is is giving it all for Jesus. How often are you chasing the applause of others and not doing good things out of the overflow of your abiding Jesus? Church, our good works The good things that we do can even be a hindrance to our abiding with Jesus if those things come first. No. It is when we begin to live deeply in our adoption sons and daughters that these things flow out of our hearts. Not because we need to. Not because we need to be seen a certain way. Not because we want to make sure that we're doing better than somebody else. Not so that we can make up for our sins. But all of it comes back to abiding in Jesus. So anytime we try to show off our piety, anytime we try to prove our value to others, all of those things are self-salvation projects. They are us trying to justify ourselves before the face of others. And that is dead man's bones. That's the children of Hagar. That's what slavery is. Because we are slaves to what others think of us. We are slaves to the opinions of everyone around us. Jesus is saying that all of these self-salvation projects are themselves slavery to us. And he is calling us to something different. So what do we do? Because if we're honest and we read this passage, we see we see the result of this sort of false piety. This sort of false piety, this sort of slavery leads to us being cut off. Jesus Jesus talks about 
being cut off. Jesus talks about being cast out, that the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but is cast out. Jesus says that all of our self-salvation projects, all of our false piety leads to death and to hell. And so he says, give that up. Set that aside. One of, the, one of the hymns that we sing in City Church that I love says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Because any of our doing that doesn't grow out of our abiding is death. But the beauty of what Jesus has done for us is that he gives us new birth. It's what he tells, it's what he told Nicodemus in chapter 3. He gives us new birth into a new family. And so we are no longer slaves. But we are now the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. I love what John, later in his life, after he writes this gospel, when he's writing letters, the way he puts it. I always remember it uh, from the song I sang growing up as a kid. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. You want to know how much God loves you. God loves you enough that he makes you into his sons and daughters by new birth. And that miracle, that miracle of new life that can only be given by him, that only comes from his Holy Spirit in our life, changes us in real ways. The fact that we, church, are now the sons and daughters of God is what allows us to hear his word. Even this morning, it's what empowers us to obey from the heart, not for the applause of others, not so that we keep up our good scorecard, but to obey from the heart out of love. It is the miracle of new birth that allows us to live a new sort of life with a new sort of freedom. The beauty of the cross is that Jesus not only takes our guilt and our shame, but he takes that from us and then he gives us our adoption. He gives us our place at the table. Through union with Jesus, we are the children of God. We cry out to God as Jesus taught us, Abba, Father. We cry out to him in a familial way. The name that you call out, that a child calls out when he's having a nightmare. That's what we get to call out to God. God is really our father. And he gives us the opportunity to be free from the tyranny and slavery to the opinion of others. And this opinion is not just, I get to do what I want. This is not the dream of libertarians. That's not what Christian freedom is. True Christian freedom is being freed from the slavery and opinion. It is living our entire life before the face of God, not the face of the crowd. It is our life being measured by what God says about us, not by what the internet says about us, not by what culture says about us, not even by, by what that voice inside your head says about you. We live our lives by what God says about us. And so, yes, sometimes he convicts us of sin. 
He calls us out because he wants us to abide in him, to live in repentance and faith. And so if we are free like this, if we are truly the children of Abraham, if we are truly the children of God, we don't have to keep up the appearances. I don't have to keep striving to be perfect. I don't have to keep a score count. And every time I wrong someone, make sure I make it double right. What I get to do is live before God and not keep up the appearances, but live in genuine faith and repentance before him. And this freedom that we get from living that way is a chance to show off our family resemblance. Because as we live more and more this way, we start to look more and more like our As we live more and more this way, we begin to love and serve just like Jesus. Because who does Jesus serve? Does Jesus serve the wealthy and the powerful and the affluent? Or does Jesus serve the downtrodden, the left out, the canceled, those whose hope is gone? That's who Jesus serves. And so as, as Christians, deep in our heart, we begin to serve those same sort of people. And this new life that Jesus gives us, when he gives us our new birth, we get to continue on by abiding in him, by abiding in his word, by loving and serving, not so that others will think well of us, but because of the way that we have been loved and served by him, by because of the manner of love that he has lavished on us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Church, it's easy for us to fall into false piety. It's easy for us to put on the show of religion. But Jesus is calling us to something harder but better, to truly abide in him and have new life. We abide in him when we read his word, when we worship together, we abide in him when we exercise repentance, true repentance for our sins, and then belief in new life. We abide in him when we wholly abandon our self-justification and self-salvation products and projects and begin to trust wholly in him for our salvation. May Jesus help us. May Jesus help me to do that this morning. Let's pray.